Hey, good morning, Catalyst. How are you? Hey, good morning, as they say down south. You know what? I just want to remind you again, I, I know that Bree did, but the Christmas Eve services again, just 4.30, 6 o'clock, be thinking of those people you can invite. And I really mean this. Pray that the Lord's going to open those doors for you. Uh, it's important for you and me to build those relationships and uh, to kind of find our place there. But make sure that we invite them. 4.30, 6 o'clock, can't, can't wait for that. I also want to remind you of the food drive. And I really mean this. Did you know that there will be people this year that will not have food if you and I don't partake in this? And I, I feel badly. I don't, think I've, I don't think I've done a good enough job in sharing this. And because I understand that what gets spoken a lot of times gets done. And uh, I, I want to encourage you that if you haven't done this, that you will take some moments, drive into Needler's. Uh, pick up some stuff, the, the, the non-disposable food and that non-perishable food, and uh, bring it back. Let's, let's help some folks out. Listen, we're so blessed, are we not? I mean, we're so blessed. Listen, you're going to eat lunch, you're going to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner today. Did you know that? That's a gift that a lot of people don't have. And so uh, this year, you know, we think about uh, turkey and the trimmings, and I promise you the trimmings will be thin for folks. Who, who won't get some help, and so we want to help. Out of our blessing, we want to give. I want to remind you, too, of the stickers that go on your car. Please, please hear me say something. You and I can give a living witness and testimony even by how we drive our cars. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say, Lord, Jesus. <laughs> Pastor, don't go there, you know? But, but the reality of it is, the reality of it is, you and I have an opportunity to begin to even declare where we worship and, and how this church has touched us. Uh, enabled us. We're, we're so blessed. I mean, we really are. You know, I'm backing out of the garage today. Listen, Sundays for us, Sundays for Ellen and for me and for other people on the staff, Sundays is a work day for us. But you know what? I, I, we're driving out of the garage this morning. I leaned over to Ellen and I said, I love Sundays. I mean, that's a good deal, isn't it? When you can just say, I love Sundays. And see, we're blessed. So let's invite other people to join us in this place. Hey, I read this the other day. Four stages of life. First one is this, you believe in Santa Claus. Second one is you don't believe in Santa Claus. Third one is you are Santa Claus. <laughs> and the fourth one is this, the final one is you look like Santa Claus. <laughs> I can relate to that sometimes. So, you know, I used to grow a goatee or a beard, and now I promise you, it is absolutely white. Isn't that amazing? I don't, I don't have that much gray hair, but my beard is almost completely white. It's, it's amazing. Now you know why I shave it very closely every day. Matthew begins his gospel with this line. This is a record of the genealogy, and notice what he says, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. I want you to know Matthew has great intent to prove that Jesus is a descendant, if you will, of both King David and Abraham, just as the Old Testament has predicted, if you will, about the Messiah and where he would come from. Matthew writes to a very specific audience. It's a Jewish audience. And they have a great understanding. They have a great understanding of the lineage of the Messiah and what it should be. And Matthew writes with a very specific purpose. Please understand this. His whole gospel is written with a great purpose. And that is to offer evidence that Jesus is the Christ. He's talking to a group of people that he knows are skeptics. He understands that. He's writing with this type of intent. 
Now, please understand me. If you've ever read Matthew and you started in this passage, like if you said, I want to read through the New Testament, and you start in this passage, then you read the genealogy of Jesus, and you go, man, what a boring way to start a book. But I'm going to tell you, it wasn't in Jesus' time. I mean, people were so careful to understand. They, they, the people in Jesus' time would not have seen this as boring at all. People would spend hours in Jesus' time just together discussing their lineage and where they had come from. Please know, Matthew writes to a specific audience for a specific reason. And I'll tell you one of the things that I, I love about the genealogy of Jesus is that it's a genealogy of brokenness in it. It's not a perfect genealogy. There's hurt. There's pain. Go back and read the stories of all these people that have been mentioned. Some of them good, some of them not so good, some of them with great hurt, some of them with great failures. It's important for us to understand that Jesus didn't come from perfection. Jesus came from what was needed to fulfill the Messiah. And none of us, please hear me, none of us come to Jesus with perfection either, do we? I mean, we just don't. His genealogy reflects that to us. And then as he ends with verse 17, he then begins with a whole different section of his gospel, but it's with the same intentional statement. Notice what he says in Matthew 1.18. He goes, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Let me say it again. He said, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. Matthew wants us to know there's a story to be told here. And I promise you, the story will evolve. This whole story for Matthew will revolve around the how of Jesus' birth. And his next statement, if you will, is kind of the hook to draw people in. He says, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found pregnant. Now I'm going to tell you, all his readers, their ears perked up. At this point. And then he says this. Through the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to tell you. He's enticed them even more. This, this audience would have absolutely responded. Oh my. I can't re- wait. I can't wait to read the rest of the story. But what this, what this audience also understood from this one phrase. From this one verse is this. Joseph's world has just been rocked. Most of us. And one way or another, most of us, we know that feeling. It's that feeling when life throws us a curveball. Those times, if you will, when we thought life would go one way and it ended up going a completely other, another way. Those are moments, friends, when life can rock our world. In fact, I want, I want to take a few moments here. I just want to spend like 20 or 30 seconds, and I'll, I'll bring us back. But this is what I want, I want us to do. I want us to, I want us to think about those moments. I want us to think about some moments, those critical moments, when life has thrown us a curve. And this is what I want us to focus on this morning just for a moment. You may want to share this with those beside you. You may not because you don't know them. You may know them. You're able to talk about this. But if not, just, just talk to the Lord at this time. And do me a favor. Think about when life has thrown you a curve. And think about these two things. Where were you when it happened, and I'm talking about spiritually, physically, emotionally, and uh, relationally, and then where are you today? I want to know how your life has changed. I want to know where you were and now where you are. Let's just spend a few moments, and let's think about those critical moments when life didn't exactly go the way we thought it would. Let's just spend a few moments. Go ahead. You can talk among each other. It's good. Be able to share that.
You see, most of us in varied scenarios, most of us in varied scenarios, in, in one way or another, please hear me, we can relate to Joseph's plight. And honestly, we may not like it. I don't want to tell you a truth. Those situations, those moments in our lives, they end up really, they end up, if you will, helping to make us the men and women that we are. They help shape our lives. They help mold our lives. How we respond to them in many ways will help mold who we are and who we become. For some of us, let's be honest, for some of us, when we look back on where we were to where we are, they have made us stronger. They have made us in many ways healthier physically, emotionally, spiritually. They have caused us in some ways to reassess and reprioritize our lives. But for others, let's be honest, the outcome has not been as positive. It hasn't been as productive. And because those moments have caused us not only to doubt ourselves, but it's caused us to really struggle to trust other people. But here's what we know. Here's what we know after some time has passed. We understand like Joseph at some point, at some point, friends, in the midst of these things, you and I have to move on. And I want to tell you, because there is a reality, you and I can only live so long in dismay. We can only live so long in disbelief. We can only live so long in defeat without it beginning to shape us in a very negative way in how we're going to approach the rest of our lives. Life tarries not for the weary or the brokenhearted. How many of you have ever heard that? And I promise you this, it's absolutely true. You and I can sit on the side of the road for a little while, but I promise you at some point we're going to come to the conclusion the traffic doesn't stop for us anymore. And why is that? Because life, life moves on. That's where we find Joseph. In the story that Matthew is telling, Joseph has come to a decision. He's heard the news. He's wrestled with the news. And now Joseph has come to a decision. He has created a plan in his own mind. He's figured out a way to deal with this. Listen to verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Notice what it says. He had in mind, that means he's processed through this, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I'm going to tell you, there's some things that make are crystal clear in this verse. The first one is this. You know what? At his core, Joseph was a godly man with a godly plan. Notice what the phrase is. It just simply says, Joseph was a righteous man. This phrase allows you and me to understand that Joseph was a man whose faith influenced his actions and the actions of his life. In regards to Mary, he was a man who was going to show grace and mercy. He didn't have to. He was going to do the right thing, not the shameful thing. The text just explicitly says he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Honestly, Joseph had two, two options according to the law. He could divorce her, he could stone her. <laughs> the right thing by Jewish law was absolutely to end the marriage. But the shameful thing would have been to bring Mary before the Sanhedrin, which he could have done, for all of them to witness her seemingly shady past. And in that situation, Joseph, Joseph knows he could have walked away a man that everyone's sympathy went out to. And Mary absolutely would have walked away shamed. She would have been disgraced. She would have been publicly, absolutely publicly destroyed. 
And yet the text says, and Joseph determined in his heart, I'm not going to respond that way. Why? Because his faith, friends, please hear me, his faith caused him to act differently. I I just want to ask a simple question here. How do you and I act when our world has been rocked? Do we pout? Do we lash out? Do we become despondent? Do we seek revenge? Do we work to get even? Do we share half-truths? Or does our faith in Jesus guide our actions? Here's the most important thing that you and I can understand at these kind of moments, and it's this very principle. Just let's say it very simply, concisely, and to the point. This is the most important principle you and I can hold on to. Act like Jesus. Say it with me. Act like Jesus. Say it one more time. Act like Jesus. Now say it like you really believe it. Act like Jesus. You want to know something? I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it would be so much easier to do the shameful thing. Because that provides an opportunity for you and me to earn some sympathy. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. It provides for us an opportunity to place guilt To blame somebody else. And it provides an opportunity for you and me to receive some type of reprieve and pardon. Oh, you're okay. I know. I'm sorry. But here's the greater truth. So many times the easy thing. Please hear me, friends. It's not the right thing. And the right thing will always be for you and me as believers. For our faith to guide our actions. And I want to tell you why it's so important, because when you and I, how we respond in the very difficult times, I promise you, it gives proof to our faith. Philippians 1.27, Paul just writes very concisely, whatever happens, even when your world is rocked. Notice what he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Wow. You see, my friends, it's not what gets said, it's what gets acted out. That matters. Any of you ever done any vision statement writing? You ever done it with a company or something and you go away and you, you want to crystallize these thoughts about what's going to guide this company? And, and so you work very hard to get the language just perfect. I mean, you can spend 30 minutes, 30 minutes discussing one word and what, the, what it's going to say to people that read it. But I, I want to tell you, all that's well and good and you can put it up all, all the placards you want to in your place. But here's what determines the vision. The vision is never determined by words. The vision is always determined by action. What happens? And Paul is saying here, I want to tell you, if you want to talk about your life and your vision for your life, what's going to matter the most is how you act. I'll never forget, this was several years ago, please hear me, I was helping to coach a youth basketball team. And it was an extremely, it was at the end of the season and we were playing in this tournament that would allow us to move on and go. And it was an intense game to say the least. And in the final few seconds of that game, a very, very questionable call. Let me say that again. A very, very questionable call went against our team and we lost. We lost, needless to say, I want you to know our fans, our bench, all those things, uh, we were not very happy, and trust me, the mood and the words that were coming out were not very positive. I want you to know I was really proud, uh, because I, I kind of kept quiet during the storm, and that was because I knew Ellen was watching. Uh, 
Ellen was like the voice of reason. I remember one uh, baseball game one time, as a, there was a call made, and I started heading out of the dugout, and all I heard was, Rollin. <laughs> the voice of God spoke over <laughs> us. Uh, we stood to leave. I'm walking with a friend out, and I just leaned over to him, and I said, I'm going to tell you why. That was an absolutely terrible call. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe how bad they were? And I looked behind me, and one of the refs was walking behind us and heard me. And I remember he, he looked, he made eye contact with me, and he walked straight towards me. And he stuck out his hand, and he said, aren't you the pastor from Clayton? And I wanted so badly to say, oh, oh no, it's just somebody that looks like me. Can you believe the striking resemblance of who it is? But I had to confess... And to be honest with you, I had to apologize to him. Paul says, whatever happens, whoa. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy. Notice what he says. That's worthy of the gospel of Christ. When life rocks our world, it is never more important for you and me to live out our faith. Joseph was a godly man with a godly plan, a plan that called for him to do the right thing, not the shameful thing, a plan that called for him to do the compassionate thing, not the resentful thing. But Joseph was about to understand something much more important, and that was that God's plan was bigger than his plan. <laughs> Let's just walk through these verses 20 through 23. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, now what this, the wonderful thing about this is this evidently was Joseph's heart language. Because if you go to chapter 2, God comes to him two more times in a dream to warn him to protect the baby. But this also means that God came to Joseph in the midst of his dilemma. You see, that's really great news for every one of us today. God joins us in our dilemmas. You see, as you thought about where you were when this instance or this, this circumstance took place in your life, did you recognize it at that moment or a short time after that? Did you recognize that God joined you in your dilemma? And then it says this, And Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your home, as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and notice what the angel says, and you are to give him the name Jesus. You see, I think it's awesome that God is already believing that Joseph is going to do the right thing. He's already believing that Joseph will be in the right place at the right time because he has responded not in the easy way, but in the right way. You see, I like the fact that God has faith in us. In fact, God built his church on believing that you and I would do the right thing the right way when he needs us to. He is dependent on us. He is believing in us that we will respond in the right way, that that faith will be such a difference maker in our lives that it's going to enable us to respond. I mean, literally, he has built his church upon this. And notice what he says, because he will save his people from their sins. 
I love that. He said, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And notice this phrase, and they will call him Emmanuel, which which what? Which means God with us. Those last two verses. Those last two verses allow you and me to understand that there are two prophetic traits That will absolutely define Jesus' ministry then and even now with us. And I promise you, those two traits, He will redeem us and He will be with us. Can I say it again? He will redeem us. That means even those moments when life rocks our world, Jesus in His grace and His mercy and His power and His strength, they, He has the power to redeem them. And then notice what He says. He will not only redeem us, but He will be with us. Let, let's say them again. Jesus redeems us and Jesus will be with us. Man, it's the truth. I'm going to tell you something, friends. If you and I can live our lives with, with, with the reality of those two promises, those two promises constantly taking root, constantly taking place in our lives, I want you to hear me say this. That is a heck of a life. Okay, now let's think about this. Where is this, where is this passage now brought us to? Joseph's plan was born from two options. Divorce or a stoner. And he was planning to do that quietly, but, but God had a different plan, a better plan, a bigger plan, and this was it. Joseph, you need to marry the girl. That hadn't been one, God, I thought about. That wasn't on the radar screen. But I want to tell you why it's important. Because, but first, you and I have to assess God's plan as compared to Joseph's plans. Just let me walk through this, will you? You see, Joseph had a problem in mind. God had a miracle. Wait now. Joseph had a problem in mind. God had a miracle. You see, every time you and I see obstacles and struggles, please hear me. God sees opportunities for miracles. The Bible is just filled with these illustrations. The parting of the Red Sea so the Israelites could cross over to freedom. Obstacle, miracle. The walls of Jericho come tumbling down because the Israelites, what in the world are you thinking, God? Well, you're going to march around it for seven days and blow some trumpets. Obstacle, miracle. Daniel goes into the lion's den and God puts the lions on a 24-hour fast. Hallelujah. Obstacles, miracle. The fiery furnace where God placed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego And he put them in flame-retardant bubble for the evening. The story of David and Goliath, where all the Israelites, all the Israelites saw a giant. God just saw a really large forehead. (laughs) Joseph, Joseph, friends, was moving toward a solution for his problem. God was moving toward a savior for the world. Isaiah 55 reminds us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither... Are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You know what? How many of you pondered that when, when your world got rocked? 
The truth is, God stands where we can't, friends. He sees what we can't. Joseph wanted the best for Mary. God wanted the best for humankind. Did you know God is always working for his greater good? I mean, in all circumstances, God works in us and through us to share his love, his concern, his compassion, his grace with others. Because God is always working for the greater good. And I want to, you know, I I thought about this even this morning as I'm going through the, the teaching again. Will we allow God to use us for his greater good? Because too many times, I promise you, too many times we're focused on our limitations. And what happens is mine and your limitations becomes God's limitations in trying to use us. Joseph was focused on the now. God was focused on the eternal. You see, God understands the importance of the eternal. All our situations, I promise you, God's shaping us, molding us. He's preparing us for the eternal. I love what 2 Corinthians 4 says. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Any of you ever felt like that? Boy, I have. And then notice what Paul writes, yet inwardly, we're being renewed Day by day, it means God's doing something in us on a daily basis. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know what's so funny to me? How many of you hide Christmas presents and then can't find them? <laughs> no, Ellen and I go through the house this week. We found, we found two Christmas presents for our grandkids that we had hidden six months ago. Friends, when we hide gifts, we hide them well. We don't even know where they are. Can, can I ask you something? How well do you hide your faith? I ask you another question. How much has your faith changed you over the last two years, five years, 10 years. I, I, I really mean this. Is God redeeming you day by day? Is God doing something new in you? Is, your, is the Holy Spirit challenging you, growing you? I really want to know, how good are you at hiding your faith? You know what I've come to understand in some ways is that sometimes as Christians, we are intoxicated with our comfort. God, don't ask me to do anything that's going to cause me to change. Don't ask me to do anything, God, that's going to move me out of this wonderful bubble that I live in. And we become more committed to our walls of comfort than we do helping doing the good that Jesus needs us to do. Oh, my friends. Paul says that we should be being renewed every day, every day, every day. Okay, I need to finish up, don't I? Joseph responds, I love this, because he came to a place that he trusted God's greater plan. You know, there's a story, and I love this. There's a story told about, and and you know what, team, you can come on up, because I'm not going to talk about the last part here. There's a great story told, and you know what? I used this this week for a very, 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 very difficult memorial service. 
I haven't had one rot me like that in a long time. Stories told about the great preacher, teacher, John Wesley. And he was walking with a man who was going through some great hurts, some great struggles. And this man had expressed, began to express his doubt about the goodness of God. And he said, honestly, honestly, John, I don't know what I will do with all this worry and trouble. And Wesley just simply looked at him and he said, you know, do you know why that cow is looking over the wall? No, the man said, a little worried by the question. And Wesley just simply said, the cow is looking over the wall because right now she cannot see through it. So many times, so many times in the barrier of the now, the present. And please hear me, I understand this. Sometimes the pain's so deep, we can't see over the wall. Any of you ever hurt like that? Oh, I have. But what you and I have to understand is God is always looking over the wall. And there is a time, friends, there is a time just like, just like for Joseph. That we all have to look over the wall to see what the future is going to be. There's a moment when you and I need to ask what life will look like now. There's a moment where you and I will need to ask, what do I need to do with these broken relationships There's a moment for all of us that we need to ask, what will I do with my faith? Will I lose it, hold on to it, or will I even be able to renew it? And you know what? In faith, Joseph trusted God's greater plan. It says, and when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Notice what he says, and he took Mary home to be his wife. Holy cow. He knew what that was going to cost him. He knew what other people were going to say. He knew the doubt. He knew the ridicule. He knew all those things. And notice what he says. And he took Mary home to be his wife. And then he says this. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. He loved her enough to wait. You know what? I, I, I think about this all the time. When we do premarital counseling with couples, this is what I ask them. I ask them to wait. Because I want to tell you what waiting states. Waiting states that you love somebody enough that you will do without. And notice what he says, and he gave him, <laughs> he gave him the name Jesus, stake in the ground. Followed through on what God asked him to do. And you know what's crazy? You hardly hear anything else about Joseph after the second chapter of Matthew. But I'm going to tell you what he did. He named, he named the 
the Savior of the world. Father, we come to you today so grateful. We come to you today so grateful for Joseph. We come to you today just grateful for the people who have gone ahead of us and lived out their faith in a way that enabled us to have faith. Thank you for people who have modeled for us what it means to trust God's greater plan. We trust you for people who have put us in a place that sometimes has moved us beyond our frustration or maybe they've spoken into it. Sometimes it's moved us past our comfort. Sometimes it's moved us past our grief over what might have been. It moves us past our anxiety over the future. And it's put us in a place of surrender and trust. A belief that God knows what is best and that God desires what is best for us. This morning, Lord, I don't have any doubt that for some of us, life has thrown us a curve. In some ways, it hasn't turned out the way we thought it would. And Father, if that's the case, I pray for this, that we will do the right thing the right way. That we will not do the shameful thing, but that our faith will determine our actions. Oh God, let us live our lives under this reality. God's plan is always bigger and always better than mine. Always has been. Always will be. Amen and amen.